my problem was that I didn't like certain meetings. And so I just quit going instead of searching out and maybe having to drive a little bit. Now, most of the meetings that I go to are online. So there's no excuse for not going to meetings now. There's none. There are meetings 24 hours a day online. And I go to women's meetings online because there's still not a lot of women's meetings around me. And I really crave women's meetings. I like that nurturing um, spirit that's there. Um, I have a sponsor that's um, that's actually in the States, but we Skype. And I'm doing the steps again with her. And we're doing it on um, digitally. So really now more than ever, there's no excuse. So number one piece of advice, number one thing that's important, go to meetings. If you don't like one, go to another one. That was Patty Clark, and this is the 100th episode of The Share Podcast. It's time for The Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 100th episode of The Share Podcast. And as much as I would have loved to put together a tribute to the last hundred episodes, guys, I seriously did not have the time, which is a good opportunity for me to get honest and vulnerable with my listeners. 2016 was a bitch. It was really, really, really tough for me. Uh, Fortunately, not personally. This time it was business related. Halfway through the year, I launched a brand new business that has nothing to do with the Share Podcast. It's what puts food on the table uh, for me and my family. But when you start a new business, it takes every free moment of your life away, away from you, away from your family, away from recovery. And there were so many times towards the end of this year that I wanted to put the brakes on the Share Podcast. And you know, fortunately for my listeners and for my wife, that just wasn't an option. You know, I remember coming to my wife a few times and just going, "I don't know how much more of this I can take." you know, I don't have a moment for me. And she's like, whatever you do, you can't stop producing the show. And the emails that I get, the feedback that I get, the Facebook private group is just moving and thriving. So much of it is on autopilot. And all I need to do is produce an episode. And as easy as that sounds, it's not. You know, it takes energy. It takes momentum. It takes, it takes what it takes. And so I want to take this opportunity to tell you all how much I love you and how much the Share Podcast has been a needed element in my recovery over the last six months. I have missed so many meetings, disconnected from my fellowship. And though I still make it to meetings, I don't make as many as I used to. And so my ability to do service in my own community has diminished substantially. And it's not something that I'm proud of. But something I am proud of is being a member of the Vigilance Club in Savannah Sur, Costa Rica, my home group where I got clean in Narcotics Anonymous, my other home group in Alcoholics Anonymous, the zoo group in Escazú, Guachipilín, my sponsor who I'm super grateful for, Alex, I love you, man, my one and only sponsee that I currently have, Alejandro, and all of my friends that have been behind me, you know, I, I show up to the meetings and I have to kind of vomit out all the craziness that's going on in my life because I'm off kilter. The balance that I had when I launched the Share Podcast is not the same balance I have today. And without recovery, there's no way that I would be able to compartmentalize the things that I need to. 
so hopefully for episode 200, I'll be able to put together what I'd love to put together for you guys, an amazing look back at the last 200 episodes. In the meantime, I couldn't be more grateful and more proud of all of the friends that I have made over this past two years since I launched the Share Podcast. You know, so many of my guests like Cole Chance and Brian B. D. Nino and Veronica Valley and Joseph Naus and Ed Cohane and George D. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And I'm grateful and I'm proud to say that these people are my friends and I'm still connected with them. And we follow each other on Facebook. And I have a family here that goes beyond the family that I'm grateful for. You know, my wife, my daughter, my sister, my mom, you know, I've got these amazing women in my life that propel me to be a better man, a better father, a better husband, a better human being. My family, along with my recovery family, is the biggest blessing that I could ever ask for. So I want to thank you all for tuning in and for listening and for being such an amazing part of my life and my recovery. A big thank you to Krista Wojo, my assistant, who has been invaluable in helping me produce the Share podcast for, gosh, it's got to be well over a year now. You are amazing. Thank you so much, Krista. And finally, I want to thank the listeners who sent in their audio recordings for the 100th episode. And I'd like to kick those recordings off now, starting with Maureen and Ron. Hey, Omar, I hope you're getting this. Um, I just want to let you know how much I love, love, love your podcast. My name's Maureen. I celebrate one year tomorrow, the 29th. I'm not, I've never, ever left a voicemail or a thing like this. I've always done emails. So forgive me if it sounds weird or if it came across weird. But um, anyways, looking forward to hearing your, all, the rest of your podcast. You're the best. HP, baby. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Hey, uh, oh, I'm 49 years old. I have a wife and three children. I'm a business owner, and I just celebrated one year clean, April 12th. And I listen to your podcast all the time. And uh, my name is Ron T. And I just want to tell you how impactful your podcasts are for my recovery. And uh, keep doing the good work. Appreciate you, man. This next message coming up is from Christopher Lee Falk, who is the founder of allrecoveryrings.com. And what he does is he takes AA Clean Date medallions and manipulates them into rings. And if you're on the Facebook group, he'll occasionally post a link to his website called All Recovery Rings. Chris sent me two of those rings as gifts. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you so much for the message. That's my best Ed McMahon impression. We're excited. The Tonight Show, in quotes. Can you tell I'm working on my master's degree in chemical dependency addiction with a minor in co-occurring mental issues? Enough about me for now. I would really like to thank you all for doing your part in raising awareness and reducing the stigmas related to our disease. Together, I think we're making a difference. As for your podcast, I'm not going to list my favorite episodes because every one of them have touched a part of my life in many ways. But episode number 91, Keith Campbell, the creator of the Thriving Sober and Serious Facebook page, is the one I want to give a shout out to. Keith brought awareness to me of your shared podcast, which then began my binge of listening to 90 episodes in 9 days. What can I say? I'm an addict. <laughs> I'm proud of it. Let me know how those recovery rings I manipulated out of sobriety medallions fit. Until then, thanks again. Now, there's work to do. Create a grateful day. God bless you all.
Peace. The next two are from Penny Musa, and she's one of my absolute favorites. We follow each other on Facebook, and we stay very close. I love her to death. And she left me two messages, one in reference to the interview I had with Cole Chance, and the other one on the interview I had with Veronica Valley. God bless you, Penny. You've always been such an amazing inspiration for me. Hi, oh, it's Penny. I just wanted to say thanks for the shout out on Cole Chance's podcast you did and how amazing she is. She is truly a miracle. God bless you. God bless you too, Cole, and all the very, very best. Bye for now. Hi, oh, it's Penny from Sydney. Just ringing to say thank you so much for Veronica's amazing podcast story. It was sensational. Oh my God, it could so be my story. I have had to listen to her twice. She is so inspirational, such an amazing woman. I am so grateful to you and to Veronica for sharing this. And I just wanted to say thank you. So that's pretty much it. I hope you're keeping well. God bless and thank you so, so much. I got so much out of Veronica's podcast. Take care. Bye. This next one is from Danielle and Danielle has such a sweet voice and such a strong message to all the people that live in dysfunctional codependent relationships, um, that there is hope and there is help out there. Thanks again so much for the message, Danielle. Hi, oh, this is Danielle. I'm calling. I wanted to just thank you for your amazing podcast this past Tuesday about, you know, the people who love the addicts as well. It was just really great. It was exactly what I needed to hear on that day. I'm somebody who loves an addict and I do listen to your podcast every Tuesday because it makes me feel really good and uh, I'm able to understand a little bit better about what my addict goes through and what has gone through. And then just to, I was having a really tough time this past week and just listening to that Naranon kind of type of podcast really just struck a chord with me and was exactly what I needed to hear. And just hearing you describe your day um, kind of going through what it was like to be helping an addict. It felt like that you were describing exactly what I've gone through for three years or so. So I just really appreciate that and I appreciate what you're doing and I look forward to Tuesdays because um, I get to listen to your podcasts and I just wanted to say thank you. And finally, the last one is from Darren Riley, who is a huge member of the Facebook Private Accountability Group. He listens to all the podcasts. He's got absolutely solid recovery. Thank you so much, Darren, for all your support, brother. Hey, yo, this is Darren Riley here. Uh, just wanted to congratulate you on your milestone 100. That's pretty good. Uh, you asked for us to pick out our favorite episode. I, that's kind of hard for me to do since... I haven't heard a bad one yet, so I would say my the one I've listened to the most would be Usman D. I recommend that for everybody every time you're feeling down. Anyway, I just wanted to say congratulations and keep them coming. So I've got to add this into the intro. Something serendipitous happened today, which is mind-blowing. But like I was saying in the beginning of this episode, my life has been crazy in 2016. And in the course of, of doing business... Um, today I met someone that I'm potentially going to be doing business with in the future. And we clicked, 
you know, I left going, man, I really like this guy and, and I, I hope it works out because I want to do business with this guy. And I mentioned that I was in recovery, that I didn't drink, I didn't use that kind of a thing. And he says, oh, oh cool. Well, my wife's got like 25 years clean now. And I was like, wow, 25 years. Impressive. Very cool. And, you know, we just left it at that. I came back to the office to finish doing the editing for this 100th episode and I get a phone call from him going, dude, my wife knows who you are. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. Uh, her name is Andrea Dye. She's got a book out called 25 Years, One Lesson. She follows you on Twitter and she's heard your podcast. Like she knows who you are. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. That's one of those, again, higher power moments where... You know, when I realize that what I am doing, I'm absolutely without question supposed to be doing it. This is one of those aha moments that just kind of hits you in the back of the head and goes, see, I told you. So a uh, big shout out to Andrea because I immediately reached out to her on Twitter. And so we're chatting as I'm doing and editing the show. So anything is possible in recovery, guys. Seriously. <laughs> And with that, we're just going to dive into Patty's story. Uh, sorry to hijack the beginning part of your interview, Patty. Uh, I enjoyed so much this interview. Patty has this amazing, beautiful energy. Uh, we have a lot in common, and I had a lot of fun on this interview. I hope everybody else does as well. And again, on this 100th episode... I want to just thank every single one of my listeners, all the Share Podcast fans, all the members of the Private Accountability Group. We are one. We are part of uh, a fellowship and a part of a family that is saving lives. Make no mistake about it. HP, baby. Now on to the show. Hey, Patty, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, Omar. I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? I am feeling excellent, really good. It's a beautiful day here in New Zealand, and I feel wonderful. Well, you don't have the typical New Zealand accent, though. No, I don't. You're right. <laughs> I, I was born and raised in San Francisco, and I moved here in 1992 and was already an adult, so I didn't lose my accent. Hallelujah. California, that's where I'm from. I love it. Okay, but I noticed you live in Costa Rica now. Is that right? Yeah, just like you relocated a long time yep. ago. <laughs> yep. Okay, okay. I lived in Costa Rica for a while, too. I lived in Monteverde. Oh, no kidding. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful over there. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful country. Wow. Okay, well, you've got lots to tell, lots to tell. <laughs> All right, so folks, today we have Patty Clark joining us on the SHARE podcast, and Patty is an accomplished speaker workshop leader dedicated to helping people through various life transitions on their journey to an extraordinary life. For more than 30 years and over several continents, Patty has been sharing her knowledge and wisdom with others. Patty is also the author of This Way Up, Seven Tools for Unleashing Your Creative Self and Transforming Your Life. Did I get that about right, Patty? You got that perfect. Well done. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's dive right in. And let's talk about all this stuff. So first, tell us a little bit about what your daily routine looks like, including recovery. Okay, excellent. Um, my daily routine, and if we are going to start with the full day, I don't leave my bed until I say the third step prayer. So that's 
first thing I do in the morning is say the third step prayer because I feel like that's the safest way for me to start. Um, And then I will either write down or um, often just staying in bed and um, thinking of at least three things I'm grateful for. So starting with turning my will and my life over and then focusing on gratitude. And that's how I start every day. And that's what I've found the best way to start a day for me. Um, Because I'm an author and I'm self-employed, my day-to-day life is is different each day. Um, To just talk about yesterday, um, after I did my, my gratitude and my journaling and my third step prayer, I... Um, went to Auckland, which is about an hour and a half um, outside of where I live in Thames on the Coromandel Peninsula. And I brought some books to a bookstore. And then I had an interview on a TV station in Auckland. And then I did a book event at a library and then got home at about 10 last night. That's not a typical day, but it's not (laughs) typical either. Where do you get all this energy from? (laughs) Well, I could say coffee, <laughs> um, but to be to be honest, um, I, I really I've just always had a lot of energy. To be honest, Omar. As a matter of fact, that was one of the things I really had to deal with in therapy when I first got sober was um, my knee jerk reaction to Oh, Patty, you're so hyper, because I heard that so much when I was a kid growing up, and it was a real button for me. And instead, I choose to reframe that now and consider my energy an attribute instead of a negative. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the thing. There's one thing that I've, um, I guess, either learned or I can't remember speaking with somebody about this, but as just as far as how um, traditionally children have been taught in schools, it's one dimensional. And so for for children who have different personalities, if you've got a personality that doesn't fit within the mold of the scholastic system, then you're put off as this either problem kid or hyper kid or ADD kid or whatever, instead of yep. trying to, to tailor the education around the child and their personalities. You know, um, I think that I think that today that that's shifting and and I hope that's the case because, you know, once we, once we break out of our shells, look at the things that we accomplish. It's amazing, right? Absolutely. My very, very favorite Ted talk is, uh, Sir Kenneth Robinson, how schools kill creativity. And that is my absolute favorite. In fact, I think it's most people's favorite. I think it's the top (laughs) Ted talk available, but absolutely. And I'm a teacher. I've taught primary, secondary, and tertiary. And I definitely know that. And I left teaching because um, it made me crazy trying to quell all of those beings that are trying to just be big and bright and expressive. And yet we're, we have to push them into these little boxes and to, to do all the stuff that needs to be done as a teacher these days. So absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. I want to watch that TED Talk. What is it? What, oh, you haven't is seen it? it? Nope. What is oh, it? Oh, we'll love it. It's fabulous. His name is Sir Kenneth Robinson, and it's called How Schools Kill Creativity. It's wonderful. 
and the way that the way that I dealt with school and the way that I hear so many people dealt with school is, you know, once I was old enough, I just started doing drugs and alcohol. So I when I, I was in I was in San Francisco in the 60s or just outside of San Francisco. So, you know, <laughs> boy, drugs were readily available. <laughs> and I would set my alarm and I would have um, cross tops, the little tabs of speed and I would set my alarm and I, it would go off and I'd take a couple of crosstops and bing, jump up. Yeah, and, and that idea of me on speed is really frightening. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like that rebellious side of me that was saying, you know, fine, you want to call me hyper? I'll show you hyper. <laughs> oh my God. I can't even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, Let's let's start diving into that arena. Um, first of all, tell us how much clean time you have and when is your anniversary date? Okay. Um, I got sober in 1988 and I was sober for 12 and a half years. Um, I got sober just before my 30th birthday. My first sober date was January 26th and I got sober just before my 30th birthday and I wanted to be sober um, because I grew up in an alcoholic family as many of us did. Um, my mother died of alcoholism. My father f was a, you know, sort of functioning alcoholic and looked good, drove a nice car, but was, you know, <laughs> what, he wasn't the identified problem. My mother was, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to be like my mother. And so I swore that when I had kids, I was going to be sober. So I got sober before my 30th birthday. I um, was clean and sober for both of, both of my kids' pregnancies through, through breastfeeding and um, was sober until they were both in school. And then what happened, Omar, and this is so embarrassing. It really is. It's, it's literally high school never ends. When my kids got to primary school, all the really cool moms went to each other's houses on Thursday and Friday after school while the kids played. And there's really good wine in New Zealand. Uh -huh. And so I said to myself, golly, <laughs> I'm, I've am i been I've been clean and sober for 12 and a half years. I know how this shit works. I can do this. So I decided I can have a glass of wine or two with um, with all of the yummy mummies at my kids' primary school, and because these were the these were the mums, as they say in New Zealand, these were the mums that were the wives of the doctors and the dentists and the um, bankers, and they lived on the beach, and the kids would all play together after school, and you know the mothers would sit out on the deck and have really good Chardonnay and really good. Pinot Gris. And I said, well, that's where I belong, obviously. <laughs> and I'm fine. I, I am, you know, I, I know what these steps are. I've worked them and I know, I know how to stay connected to God. <laughs> oh, so wow. I only drank a little bit at first. Anyway, you've heard it before. The thing that amazes me is now that I'm back in the rooms, hearing how many of us that got clean and sober in the 80s went back out again and are coming back now. It's, so yeah. anyway, I um, I managed to hold it together pretty well, actually. And then, um, you know, but, you know, by the grace of God, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't get in any car crashes. I didn't, you know, I didn't 
implode or explode. But what I realized is, um, I, as you mentioned in my introduction, I'm, I'm an author. And as my book was, um, as I was getting toward the end of my book and I was meditating, I had just this clear, crystal clear as a bell voice that said, um, you need to be the best version of yourself and there is no room for alcohol. And that was, um, that was just over two years ago. My, um, my next clean date was November 1st. So not long ago, um, two years ago. So 2014. So toward the end though, I wasn't drinking at all. I just didn't really get back in the program again. I hadn't, I hadn't had any alcohol for a long time, but I, recommitted to the program just over two years ago. Um, and the irony is, of course, that in my book, the the very, very first um, chapter, what happens in the book um, is that the protagonist, Kat, um, gets drunk and crashes her car. And that's how the whole story starts to unfold. All right. All right. So now that we've got the clean date under control here. Uh, yep. Tell us about the first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how did that make you feel? Just that first time. Uh, God, to be honest, the first time I was really young. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in a family where alcohol was purchased before food, and um, I, I drank with my family. So th there was there was always alcohol available. The first time I really remember getting drunk was um, at home. Boy, I, you know what I'm, uh, it would have been in junior high school, really getting drunk. And what I felt like was like so many of us that it, it, I felt like I was out of my body. Finally, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin that drinking made me numb. And I was like, I could be in my skin. It also made me feel um, better then I did like, like I'm, I'm, I'm a better person. I was, um, skinny, knobby knees. Um, when all the other girls that were popular were filling out and really, um, cute and voluptuous, I, I still looked like a little boy. I mean, I had freckles and knobby knees and, and just was not, um, yeah, wasn't, wasn't cute and cool. But when I drank, even in junior high, it made me feel like I could be one of the popular kids. Yep. Yep. That's exactly how, well, I mean, I can't say it's exactly how I felt, but there's a lot of similarities in your story. <laughs> it's that, yeah. it's yeah. that not feeling good enough, not feeling smart enough, not feeling good looking enough, not feeling all this. And then you drink and then all of a sudden I'm feeling all of those things all at once. And it's like, yep. where have yep. you been all exactly. my life? Yep. I got you. All right. So Patty, let's turn this show over to you now. It's time for you to tell us your story, the battle against okay. drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and finally your journey into recovery up until today. So Patty, take it away. Thanks, Omar. Um, I'm Patty. I'm an alcoholic. And hey, Patty. I, um, thanks. I was uh, I was born and raised in San Francisco in the 60s, as I said, and drugs and alcohol were prevalent. I was raised by an alcoholic mother and father. Uh, my dad left us the day before Christmas Eve when I was 12 years old. Wow. And his final words before he left were, think about Jim Beam while I'm gone. 
That's what he said to wow. my mother with my sister and I standing there the day before Christmas Eve. And we were, you know, uh, my father was Irish Catholic, my mother Italian Catholic. So uh, Christmas was a big deal. Um, after he left, my mother told us we could not tell anyone because it was so shameful. So when mm. people in the neighborhood would say, where's your dad? We'd say he's on long business trips. She didn't even tell her sisters or um, anyone in her family that he was gone. So when we got together with the family at Christmas, she just said dad wasn't well. So it was a big secret. It was lots of shame. So that's when I was 12. I got into junior high and I discovered alcohol. And as I just said, it made me feel like I, I was I was better. And also more than that, it numbed me out. I mean, I was just so uncomfortable in my skin that numbing out made all the difference. And it was really fast that once I was in the eighth grade and was drinking pretty regularly that I found speed and I found marijuana and I was taking speed a lot in the eighth grade, smoking pot most weekends, went into high school every weekend. Um, we'd, we'd get drunk and I was, the, and I'm, I mean, every weekend. And I was the one um, that was, that got sick every weekend because I did not stop until I was falling down and then I threw up and I was a blackout drunk right from the beginning. And my mother, because I was living alone with my mother now, um, she was drunk and she had passed out. So I had no boundaries whatsoever. I was just, I was a wild child and she didn't know when I got home. She didn't know what I had been doing. I mean, that's the tragic part is that I was screaming for boundaries. I wanted boundaries so bad, but I had none. So luckily, I mean, I'm really grateful that I, I, really wanted to get out of the small town south of San Francisco that I was um, raised in. And I knew that the best way for me to get out was to go to university. So I went to Berkeley and there were a lot of drugs and alcohol there too, oh, but I yeah. did go, I did go to university. <laughs> I did go to college and that was a real, um, that helped keep me clean a bit because I had to work hard to do what I was doing. Um, so although I wasn't I, by far, by, by no means was I clean and sober, I, I wasn't as wild and crazy in high school. I was able to maintain decent grades, even though, um, I was, I was drunk all the time. Um, then I finished at Berkeley and I, I did fine. And then I decided to drive across the country. I got my car and I drove across country the day after I graduated Cal. And I brought my tent and drove across country and drank every night. And uh, also, oh my God, yeah, drinking and driving. It's terrifying wow. now. Ended up in Florida. Um, and worked as a, as a cocktail waitress for a while in Florida, didn't like Florida. So decided to go as far away as possible. I had heard that drugs and alcohol were prevalent in Alaska and there were 10 men to every woman in Alaska. And I thought, well, those are good odds. So I <laughs> packed up my tent and I drove back across country, only sort of diagonal and up. I had driven south before, and now I went sort of diagonal up to Alaska. I ended up in Alaska, got a job uh, cocktail waitressing and bartending my first day there. And I spent um, three and a half years in Alaska bartending and um, cocktail waitressing and drunk and 
stoned out of my mind. I mean, there was so much cocaine. It was terrifying. And because there were so many men and not a lot of women, and there was so much money, that's men would come into the bar. I was in Juneau. They'd come in with this money from either salmon fishing or working on the pipeline. And their their pockets were bulging with cash and cocaine. Wow. And so I, I'd make... I made way more money bartending than I ever made teaching, as tragic as that is. Oh, my God. It does. Yeah, it was, it sounds about right, uh, though. Yeah, exactly. But it was, it was tragic. And anyway, luckily, um, again, my, I, I, you know, but for the grace of God, um, I realized that I, I was really killing myself, which I really was. I was I was out of control again. And I had met I had met my boyfriend then my husband now, who who's not an addict, God, try and understand that one, right? Um, but he didn't use and he didn't drink. You know, he he's the kind of person that would take a couple of sips of a beer and then leave it. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> um, and so he went to Australia and he was working in Australia and he wrote to me. And in the same week this happened, Omar, and this was a real, a real, pivot point for me. Um, he wrote to me and said, join me in Bali um, and, and let's travel together. Wow. That same week, I got offered a full-time teaching job and a woman that I was doing um, substitute teaching with said that the person next door to her in this condo um, complex was moving out. I could move in. I had some money saved. They were giving loans, like giving them away because it was the oil boon days. And I could have bought a condo easily. And I had it because I, because I had a contract to um, be a teacher and I stood on this, on this crossroads and I looked and I thought I could stay in Alaska. I can buy a place. I can, you know, make good money. I was bartending at night and teaching during the day and making good money, or I could go to Bali and God knows what's going to happen. And I really knew that that was a deciding point. And that it was like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie um, called Sliding Doors, but it was a real sliding doors moment. And so I went to Bali. <laughs> I decided, you know, <laughs> fuck quality. <laughs> and I, I went to Bali and um, started traveling with Jeff. And as I say, Jeff didn't use and drink. And I knew if I stayed in Alaska, I was going to kill myself. So I didn't use and drink um, much. We ended up in, in Japan teaching and there was a lot of alcohol there. And sort of my point, sort of my, my real, another pivotal point was Jeff said, if you keep drinking like this, because I got drunk on sake one night came home and threw up all over the house. And he said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So either, you know, either I'm, I'm leaving or, you know, do something because this is crazy. So at that point, I, I quit drinking while we were in Alaska. But the big point came when we came back to America. We were living in Ashland, Oregon, and I got my astrology chart done. And I wasn't drinking a lot then, but I, I occasionally would have a beer, but I knew it wasn't exactly right. Um and this woman did my astrology chart and she was, we were sitting down. She said, oh, this is an interesting trine or whatever. She said, is there alcohol in your family? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I said, my mother died of alcoholism. She said, yep, yep, that shows up right here. What else? And I said, well, my dad's still living, but he's an active alcoholic. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's here. How about anything else? And I said, well, my sister's an alcoholic as well. My sister was actually just gotten into recovery. 
Um, at that point, my sister got um, sober just before me. And she said, okay, yep, I can see that. And then she looked me straight in the eye and she said, Patty, are you an alcoholic? And I just burst into tears. And that's how I got sober. I just, I, she stared me in the eye like, you know, quit this, quit, <laughs> quit tippy-toeing around this. What? Come on. And I just burst into tears and um t- the next day we left for um, Tucson, Arizona. Jeff had gotten into a master's program there and we uh, went to, to Tucson and that was kind of a recovery central place in the 80s. And I walked in the first night there, I walked into a woman's meeting and I just sat down and went, oh, my God, I'm home. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was 1988. Oh, my God. That is unbelievable. Like that yeah. whole ride and that whole journey. It, what's amazing though is how long were you in Bali? Uh, we were in Bali for a month. Ah, okay, okay, all right, all right. Did, was it? And like- then, but, but we traveled. We traveled for three years. So we went from Bali and then went to Australia and then went up to Japan. And in Japan, when I was teaching, there was so much alcohol. And part of my job working with adults was to to drink with them. You know, you'd go out after work and drink. And I'm an alcoholic. So there it was it was like hidden candy store. They pour they pour the drinks. I never had to touch anything. They poured it for me. So if somebody else is pouring it for me, it's not my fault. Nope. <laughs> That's a rule. That's a rule. Hard, fast rule. <laughs> so 1988, uh, you get your astrological chart read and you go to your first woman's meeting and then you're sober for 12 years, right? Yep. 12 and a half years. Okay. So what were those, what were those years like? I mean, the first year, you know, what happened, you know, there's a, there, obviously there's a transition that happens as you begin the journey, but what happened along the way that, that brought you back out? Oh, okay. Well, that what happened, I mean, I was definitely a member of the pink cloud club for sure. I mean, I was, everything was wonderful in, in Tucson with these women that, that, the recovery community in Tucson was just amazing. It was huge. And I had, I went to women's meetings several times a week. I had an amazing sponsor. I had dear friends in the program and um, I was doing art and I was working in a, in a good job. I loved it. So my first two years while I lived in Tucson and I was really active in recovery and I had solid, solid foundation for recovery. Thank God. Um, and then Jeff and I went to Africa and there were no meetings in Africa and I'd write to people, but there was no internet. This was in 1990. There was no internet. Um, and there was no meetings. I'd, I'd write aerograms to my sponsor and to friends, but that's not quite the same. Then we came back, and in 1992, we moved to New Zealand. And I I got here, and there was – I'm in a smallish town. There were no women's meetings, and the meetings um, – I'm not, I'm not saying this judgmentally, but it, 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 it did impact me. They were very, very um, – uh, rigid, mostly old men, um, and a lot of real pedantic talk. Yeah. And what I judgmentally am saying is it didn't feel like a lot of spirituality. It felt like a lot of big book thumping. And when there was emotion, it was like, well, just don't drink and you'll be fine. 
and that that didn't feel like recovery to me. It felt like uh, it felt um, judgmental and harsh, and and uh, yeah, it just didn't work real well. And also, there was because there wasn't a lot of um, meetings here and a lot of women. I ended up sponsoring a lot of women, but couldn't find a sponsor. No one had more sobriety than me, and so. I, I was looking around. I finally found a sponsor in Auckland, but that's an hour and a half from here. And I was doing a lot of my own work and my own recovery, and I was doing a lot um, in therapy, and I was journaling a lot, and I felt strong enough, but I wasn't getting what I needed in meetings, and that was the problem. So um, I stopped going to meetings, and then I just as I told you, as after I stopped going to meetings for a while, th- this was about 1990 at this point. Um, uh, sorry, no, um, in about 2000. Um, so in about 2000, 12 years later, I was, that's when my kids were in school. And that's when I was seeing all the, all the yummy mummies drinking on the decks. And that's when I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And it was really, and I, it was really absolutely because I quit going to meetings. There's no question. So once that happens, once the relapse happens, what was the rock bottom that brought you back in once you started drinking? You know, you knew you had to, you, obviously the progression starts and it's probably not overnight or maybe it was. How, how quickly or how slowly did it take the progression from when you picked up again and when you came back? Yeah, that, it was another 12 years. Oh, long. Which is terrible. Yeah, it was 12 years. Um, I And the reason I got sober again was because I didn't, I wasn't living my life to the fullest. And I've, I've written this book, This Way Up, Seven Tools for Unleashing Your Creative Self and Transforming Your Life. It's about being the best you you can be. I was running workshops about being vibrantly fit and healthy, about grabbing life, about being creative. And I knew that whenever I drank, I didn't feel like that. In my middle-aged body, one glass of wine impacted me negatively. Three glasses of wine, which what usually happened once I had one, I felt like shit in the morning. Now, I wasn't drinking every night. I, and as I said, I didn't hit a rock bottom like a um, like no, nothing happened. Nobody got hurt. You know, I when I did my um, amends to my sons for the for the when I went back out. They both said, you know what? I can't even remember you ever being drunk. I I don't picture you having a problem with alcohol. Of course, I talked about it and I was real open, et cetera. But they said, I have no memory of this. So on the one hand, I'm really grateful for that. On the other hand, I know how much I hid them from them. You know, my husband's not an alcoholic. He didn't see a lot of it. My kids didn't see it. My favorite place and way to drink was alone. So nobody would see me if I did, you know, fall down. So no one was quote unquote hurt except me. So my rock bottom was for me when I realized I'm not living my life to the fullest. I'm not as vibrantly fit and healthy as I want to be. And I'm being a fraud if I go out and and once my book gets published, because I got sober again before my book got published, I will be being a fraud if I get if once my book is published, if I'm still drinking Again, you know, if I'm if, even if it's one glass of champagne at the launch, it's still a lie because I know who I am. Even if no one else is seeing it, I know that it's bullshit. I know that this is not the best me. And I have no right to be going into workshops or to be going and, um, you know, going to a book event and talking about being the best you you can be if I'm having any alcohol. 
that's bullshit. And I know it, even if nobody else does. Well, you know, when you have that much, when you have that much program in you, it's yeah. impossible. It's impossible to live in denial and not go absolutely out of your mind. That's absolutely accurate. It's it's like it's like this this ass kicking guilt machine that, that is just pounding on you over and over again. You're a fraud. You're a fraud. You're a fraud. You're a fraud. So it was a double guilt. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, Patty, can I ask you how old you are? I'm 58. Okay, 58 years old. And the reason why I ask is because in the beginning, when you talk about when your dad left and how your mom hid all that from everyone. That's yep. such an two generations back mentality. Oh, it's, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, when, when, when my parents, you know, when I was growing up and my parents would fight and there was, you know, ridiculous fighting in the house, tons of dysfunction and absolutely no discussion about therapy, no discussion about talking to somebody. Everything had to stay within doors, you know, always had to keep up appearances. And so imagine, you know, as the years go by, we have to learn how to do all these things. We have to learn how to take off these these masks that we've been putting on for years and come out of hiding. So when exactly. these when these things start to happen to us, we have to, it's like, okay, is it okay for me to talk about this now? And of course, now we know that there's absolutely no way of recovering. There's no way of becoming a whole person unless you're able to freely share about all the dysfunction and all the craziness and insanity that's going on in your lives. Absolutely. You know, so, so now you come out of this, you've got two years now, but you've done a lot. Yeah. You've got this book that came out. And so the book, you were writing it while you were still drinking. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was. And I mean, that's, 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 a tell, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's you know, an interesting the dichotomy. Opening, the opening scene is it's written on um, the audience is really middle-aged women experiencing empty nest, experiencing a loss of self, trying to reconnect back to self, you know, and talk about, you can't reconnect back to self when you're using, you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the ultimate obstacle. And yet, you know, I was writing the book and I, you know, again, I had all the, I had all the tools. I had all the, um, all the verbiage. I knew what to say and what to do. And, and I had a lot of recovery under my belt, but I was still, I was in denial. You know, I was in denial. I was saying, oh, I'm fine. Was, you know, just such bullshit. Anyway, that was, thank goodness. I still meditated on a daily basis. I still journal journaled, you know, even when I was drinking, um, and I actually listened to my higher power who basically hit me upside the head and said, there's no way you can be talking about best version of yourself when you're out there, you know, stop. And, yeah. and I did. Yeah. I, th- I, I, there's just no way, yeah. you know, which one of these wolves am I going to feed? And, right, right. and when you're, you're simultaneously feeding both right. at some point, <laughs> there's going to be a massive dog fight. One, right. one, ha- <laughs> one has to lose. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. one of them has to lose. And fortunately, fortunately for you, it was the good wolf that won because so many, uh, they play this dangerous game of, oh, you know, I'm doing just fine. I've got things under control. Um, I can still, you know, drink on the side and I can still, you know, manage. But, but the reality is that managing is not good enough. It's bullshit. No. I don't no. want to manage. I don't want to just get by. I don't want to prove something, 
right? That's just the disease talking, and I'm just I'm unable to peel my way away, uh, peel my way out of this denial system. So for Absolutely. for those of you that are listening, that are teetering on that brink, that are listening, because we have so many, I have so many listeners that are right there. Um, we have yeah. over fifteen hundred people in the in the private. Do I have you in the Facebook private group, Patty? Yes, yes. Uh, okay, I'm on there. so you see, there's over fifteen hundred yeah. people in there, and there's people that are talking about. I just relapsed again. All right, yeah. I, I'm I'm struggling. Yeah. I'm struggling yeah. again. I don't know if I, you know, what should I do? So there's all this. There's just you're just fighting with yourself constantly. The surrender aspect is the most liberating and empowering moment of our lives. That complete Absolutely. surrender to a higher power and to recovery. You just kind of, once that happens, it's this huge sigh of relief where it's like, I don't, I don't have to do this any, I don't have to do this to myself anymore. And in your book, seven tools for unleashing your creative self and transforming your life. Can you go yeah. into that a little bit? Sure, sure. It's, um, you know, first of all, let me just let me just echo what you're saying that I cannot I couldn't have put it better. Just beautifully spoken. Surrendering is just the most liberating feeling ever. And it is that sort of like, oh, thank God, I don't have to hold on this white knuckle clench like I'm going to be fine and, and making these deals with myself. And I know, oh, God, oh, my God, the deals. And, and yet sort of. It's sort of like when it's done, it's sort of like, why the hell didn't I do that earlier? Yes. <laughs> God. Oh, our brains are just, you know, t terrifying. <laughs> oh, it's a horrible so, place to be. Horrible. I always so say this. I always say this. Listen, if you're sitting at home by yourself, you're sitting at home with an addict. Okay. <laughs> Run. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you bet your brain can justify any number of things. Ah, God, yeah, so liberating. So what prompted the the um the the book is that I, I'm a um I'm a workshop facilitator. I had been um, just real briefly because it's not really related to recovery, but I had been running workshops for teenagers for a long time. Um, and then one day I was reading something out of a self-help book to my older son, Lucas, who is now 23. And at the time he was 13 and he put his hand on the book and he said, mom, you've been saying this stuff to me since I was a baby. When are you going to stop reading other people's work and start writing your own? Oh, wow. And I Wow. So that's when I started writing the book. And I, it's mostly around things with creativity, with connecting to self a lot around meditation, around visualization, journaling, because for me and what I say in the book continuously and what I say to anybody that asks is I have no answers for you, none, but you have all the answers for yourself if you open up to it. And because the book isn't only written for people in recovery, although a lot of people in recovery have read it, but and have and have really connected to it because, as I said, the opening scene is the protagonist gets drunk and crashes her car because she's sad and so doesn't know how to deal with life anymore. Um, but basically, I, I don't use these words to people that are not in recovery. So I use different words, but basically what I'm saying for those of you that are in recovery is that by getting quiet and opening yourself up, you're opening yourself up to your higher power. And that's who has all the answers. 
we don't have the answers for ourselves per se, but when we get quiet and go inside, we access that highest self, and that's who has the answers. And no one outside of us does. Externally, you aren't going to get answers per se. However, in the program, we do have people that know the program. And therefore, unless you're really accessing your higher power and you know it, be careful, especially in early recovery, do go outside yourself, go to your sponsor first. (laughs) So it's sort of a double-edged sword there. It's like, if you can get quiet and access your higher power, great. But if you're in your own head and you're bullshitting yourself, get to your sponsor. And if you don't know the difference yet, go to your sponsor. Right, right. It's so much easier when you can just, when you have that outlet. I'll tell you this much. A, f- a friend of mine who's just brand new in the in the program again, he was telling me that he was in a meeting and somebody was talking about their story. They were They were sharing something about their using. And this is a guy who just kicked opiates by himself in his backyard for two weeks. So anything, any you know, when you if you're talking about smoking weed, it's almost like what are you talking about? Like that, you know, that's like talking about smoking cigarettes, right? And I <laughs> and I said, I said, look, buddy, everybody on this planet, regardless of who you are, could benefit from working the twelve steps. Imagine what our what imagine what the world would be if everyone would were to, were to take an inventory on themselves. Oh, no kidding, no kidding. So quit judging others. Get off your soapbox, right? And get off your. You yep. know, we, we tend to get very self righteous, especially early in recovery, right? Yes, we, we do. <laughs> we get this thing, and as soon as we start getting it, we start taking everybody's inventory. That's and right. I, I said, <laughs> you know what? It's it's your program. It's their program. And to be quite honest, everyone could benefit from this from working at Twelve Step Fellowship. And think about the resources we have at our disposal. Anytime there's something going on in our lives, I can pick up the phone. I can talk to my sponsor or somebody very close to me in the program, and I'm going to get a direct pipeline from God. Because as soon yep. as we start talking, the answers, they come from above. They don't come yep. from us. Who else has yep. this opportunity, right? I know. We need, to know. Re- we need to relish that. And that's, I think that's one of the most important things that if I can get across to people, if you are in this fellowship, you have no idea what you have access to, but it is so powerful oh, I know. and so life-changing that if everyone were to tap into this, the planet would, would change overnight. I totally agree. And, you know, I've said to so many people, I don't know how people do life successfully without the program. No. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, but I agree. It's sort of like, imagine if people were constantly keeping their own side of the street clean. Uh-huh. If they were constantly clear on what their own stuff is and were able to just focus on that keeping their own side clean, keeping a constant connection to God, meditating daily, and saying a third step prayer daily. It makes so much sense. And when you're wrong, promptly admit it. Imagine. 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 You know, imagine. it's it's just it's 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 almost uh too utopian to to even <laughs> to even go there. So Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> no I, kidding. Patty, you have this absolutely amazing story and this wonderful energy. I just love your story. Um, and so what we're going to do now is we're going to wind down. We're going to, I'm going to ask you some questions as I start to, as we start to close down the interview. Um, and it's questions that I like to ask for the newcomers. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery and I want you to respond with inspiring answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? Perfect. Yes. Okay. So first of all, 
What was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Fear and shame. Um, 12-step program seemed like a shameful thing to do. It seemed like giving up, and I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed. Like only Daros, you know, real derelicts, you go to AA, and um, I'm strong. I'm strong. I don't need it. So that's what was standing in my way, and that's why – And that early point with the, um, when that, when the person that I got the astrology chart done stared me in the eye and said, are you an alcoholic? It was so intense. And so like facing into the mirror that all I could do was crumble. And thank God that I did. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if that's your, the answer to number two. My next question is at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? It, it would have been um, one of my very first meetings in the women's meetings in Tucson. I had an amazing sponsor that I got my very first night. I sat down in the, the, the first part of it w- was very tangible, just energetically sitting down in that women, in that women's meeting with this circle of women where I looked around and thought, oh my God, I'm home. I felt safe for the first time ever. And I started crying and, mm-hmm. and, and it felt, it washed over me. It was very <laughs> much a spiritual awakening and, and I just absolutely submitted to it. And, and that's, that was, that was it. My, my very first meeting. It's so liberating. I have, you know, my first year I cried in so many meetings. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't even recognize myself. You know, growing up in a, in a very machista uh, Latin family, uh, my dad's Colombian, and there wasn't there wasn't a lot of crying f- allowed for boys. Right, <laughs> right, right. I can and imagine. Yeah, and in the rooms, man, you're just like, let it all out, buddy, let it all yeah. out, and it's just so. Those magic moments is when you know that you're connected to a power greater than you are. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What a gift. Yes. So tell us, Patty, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery? Yeah, Each Day a New Beginning. Um, it's very, it's, th- that's mostly for women. Um, but I, I really loved that feminine support that I got in Each Day a New Beginning. And it was a, um, a daily, that was the other thing I loved, short, sweet, daily every day starting with something. And so daily meditation books were essential to me in early recovery. I, I really loved it. They were gentle, uh, nurturing. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. Well, uh, again, it's, it's what resonates with you and we have a lot of, uh, female listeners, so I'm sure they will benefit greatly from that suggestion. Right. And I think it's, I think it's still available, um, updated from Hazelden. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. I still have my very first copy that I got in the eighties, but, um, I'm pretty sure they've updated it and that it's available through Hazelden. Okay. Wonderful. And number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Um, (laughs) lots of them. Um, go to meetings, (laughs) talk with your sponsor. Um, and if you don't, I guess the best advice really was if you don't like one meeting, go to another one. You know, my problem was that I didn't like certain meetings. And so I just quit going instead of searching out and maybe having to drive a little bit. Now, most of the meetings that I go to are online. So there's no excuse for not going to meetings now. There's none. There are meetings 24 hours a day online. 
And I go to women's meetings online because there's still not a lot of women's meetings around me. And I really crave women's meetings. I like that nurturing um, spirit that's there. Um, I have a sponsor that's um, that's actually in the States, but we Skype. And I'm doing the steps again with her. And we're doing it on um, digitally. So really now more than ever, there's no excuse. So number one piece of advice, number one thing that's important, go to meetings. If you don't like one, go to another one. There's always another one, and there are some great meetings. And if you have a sponsor that you don't like and that doesn't work, fire that sponsor and get another sponsor, but don't decide you don't need one. Beautiful, beautiful. And if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would that be? Yeah, along the same lines, keep going to meetings. um, And also just... I don't know the best words to say this, but be authentic with it. One of the problems that I had with um, once I had been in recovery for a while was that um, I didn't. I felt like I wasn't being authentic with my recovery. I wasn't finding certain meetings or resonating with certain things, and so I sort of put on a mask. and And that's bullshit. Once you're in recovery, that's the beauty of it. Is you get to take off all the fucking masks. So. <laughs> Be authentic, be real, find a sponsor that you can absolutely be totally authentic with, one that will let you lay on the ground and kick and scream, or will let you crawl into their lap and cry, or will stroke you while you're losing your mind, or will listen to you while you rant and rave, and will be firm and set boundaries when that's needed. But one of what I did early on that I made a real mistake with was I tried to be something that I thought they wanted me to be. And that screwed with my head. You know, that's codependence is trying to be taking care of other people with your own actions. It's like crazy making. So be authentic and you'll find somebody that you resonate with and you'll find meetings that you resonate with. Be authentic and be true to yourself in your recovery. And that's where that strength and that power comes from. And then the one biggest piece of advice is stay connected with your higher power. Pray every day. Start every day with a third step prayer. Talk to God like God's your best friend. Go go to God. God's bigger than you. I mean, that's the whole point. You know, came to believe in a power greater than yourself. That's the magic. Turning it all over to that highest power and, and let's like you this alone. Okay. I almost lost you there. You got it all out. That was a lot of Okay, that was a lot of answer. That was a lot of answer to a simple question. <laughs> all right. Well, before the internet goes on us, um, tell us real quick, Patty, what's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you, uh, your website, the book, whatever message you'd like to give to our listeners so they can find you? Excellent. Thanks so much for asking, Omar. It's um, This Way Up Book. Dot com is my um, website, thiswayupbook.com. There's a contact sheet there, but you can also contact me at patty at thiswayupbook.com. P-A-T-T-I, patty at thiswayupbook.com. I really love hearing from people so much. I'd love to talk recovery. I'm, I'm open. I answer emails immediately. I love connecting to people, and I'm just such a firm believer in, man, life is amazing. It's just so wonderful, and that getting into recovery and experiencing it and not numbing out is the first step in realizing that amazing beauty of life. Absolutely beautiful. Wow, Patty, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with us. 
Thank you so much, Omar. And sorry for that little glitch in the middle, but I, you know, we worked it out and you are wonderful. You're great at what you do. I love listening to your podcasts. You're fabulous and you're really good work. So well done. Thank you for doing that. Beautiful. Thank you very much. I love hearing that. I never get tired of hearing that. (laughs) Yeah, well, we all appreciate it. We really do. So keep up the great work. You're a light. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, we have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.